1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Shaletta has the day off. Filling in, I'm Dave Schrader. You know, part of the problem in our world is the inability to know where to begin if we want to make changes. If we want to try to help our community, a lot of times we feel intimidated by doing the research and finding places and reputable places and reputable people to work with. And that can be a big issue in getting off the couch and getting into your community to make an actual difference. I am a fan of this gentleman. I had a chance to talk with him on another radio show and uh, sit down face-to-face. We had a great conversation that day, and I wanted to bring him back on today to talk about this, especially with Minneapolis and the state it's in and finding ways to get more involved in helping people, helping our neighbors and helping our community. Reverend Tim Christopher joins us here now on News Talk 830 WCCO. Hi, Reverend Tim. Thanks for being here, sir. Well, thank you for having me on, Dave. I definitely appreciate it. It's great talking with you, catching up with you. I loved your openness, your awareness of the situations and the communities and the things that are going on around us and and finding ways to get out there. Do you find that a lot of people are hesitant to get involved in helping simply because they don't know where to begin?
3: Yeah, I've I've come to that realization uh, to see that, like you said, a lot of people just don't know where to start. Um, a lot of people try to get into it um, also, you know, in a way for the wrong reasons. Um, if you're going to come out and you're going to help the community, if you're going to do something, you, I've, I've found that uh, a lot of people don't do it from the heart. They do it to get clicks or to be on social media and things of that sort. So in order to be a part of it and really be a part of it, you just got to leave yourself aside and, and go out and do the things that, that needs to be done.
2: How do we get the groundswell grassroots effort from the neighborhoods and get people involved? Uh, Is it just door knocking like it used to be? Is it, is it, you know, obviously social media, I would have thought would have been a good way by extending the, the olive branch and seeing people out in the community doing work and people posting for clicks and posting for uh, acknowledgement, making more people aware of the things that are going on in their area. But I can see how you could see that as being counterproductive as well.
3: Yeah, you know what? It's it's having um, neighborhood meetings. You know, it's it's getting out there and letting people know where they can help, what they can do, and and who to get involved with, and what organization to get involved with. You know, some of these organizations are out here. They're out here pretty much for themselves. Um, there's been millions and millions and millions of dollars dumped into uh, Minneapolis. And you don't see any change Um, because I feel I'm not I'm like I'm not talking for anybody else. I'm just saying what I see. Right. Um, I don't feel that that money goes to the right people. And I don't think like I said before, I don't see it in a way of saying the right people are actually out here with their boots on the ground, doing the things they're supposed to do to make the community better and the people in the community better. I think a large part of these people who are out here are out here uh, because they they feel that they they can make a difference, true. But then they get to the point to where they understand that there's a, even a lot of people in the community that don't want to help. And it kind of, you know, make the people who are out here, you know, feel bad. I mean, I walked away. I mean, I, I walked the streets back in 1996 uh, in Minneapolis when I lived right there on Third Street. Um, and I started seeing that, you know, I I had really no help from the community at large and it was taken away from my family. I had two boys at the time, you know, married to my wife and it was taken away from them and I'm trying to do everything I can to make the community better, but the community just do not want to come along and, and do the things that needs to be done. So it's also the community too.
2: I lived in Minneapolis, uh, like I said a little bit earlier 5226 Irving Avenue North in Minneapolis for yeah. 5 oh. 5 years and loved the community I you know we had a nice little starter home uh, the the neighbors were great I actually knew my neighbors Reverend Tim if you could imagine that and uh, this wasn't 40 50 years ago this was 25 years ago and I lived there and we knew our neighbors we watched out for each other and you know we would have big block parties and everybody from the community around was welcome and everybody stayed to clean up afterwards and the ones that left and left a mess the other neighbors didn't mind we all had our garbage cans out on the street and we're picking up the the plates and the napkins and the cups and and moving on and we there was pride in the community pride uh and and Community meaning not just you know being a middle class white male it wasn 't just a bunch of middle class white people that I was friends with in our neighborhood. it was the rainbow coalition, my friend. we had everybody from every walk of life in our neighborhood, and everybody got along. everybody was able to come together to work and and do these things, and we saw the commonalities as opposed to the derision and the the strife that 's going on uh, and and seems to be so prevalent right now. Where do you think the breakdown came that people stopped? with their concern about community and became more focused on the concern for the individual. I don't want to put in any more work than I have to. I don't want to have to do anything more than I have to, and nothing's going to get better it seems to kind of just be the the cry of the day.
3: Well I I think and and I'm glad you brought that up because that's the way it was. I mean I lived on twenty seven twenty nine North Third Street. You know I was right behind the, the park sure. there on on Lyndale. Um, and, you know, if you drop below the 40s back in the day, that's where all the trouble was. If you stayed above the 40s, you could live a good life. And like you said, you can go outside. You can have a good time. You can enjoy it. You can enjoy your neighbor. You knew your neighbor. But you drop below the 40s, that's where all the, the hooligans were at, and people who, who looked at Minneapolis in a way of saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. And they terrorized the community. And that started seeping up to the 40s, right, and the 50s. And people started going, wow, you know, I'm putting all this time into this community. And I have no community leaders that is going to push back on making my community something that it's really not. And it just, I mean, you could see the dark cloud leave, you know, the 20s and the 30s going up to the forties and the fifties, up to where where you was at, instead of it being the other way around, where the dark cloud, you know, disappears coming down on the forties the and the thirties and the twenties, you know, and all this ugliness and all the crime and the criminals, you know, went the other way and disappeared. But that didn't happen. Um, because the community was so pushed down by that time that you're talking about there was no coming back. There was no no one that actually wanted to step up because they was afraid. You know, you understand what I'm saying? They was afraid that, you know, if I spoke out, then they were gonna come to my house. That I'll wake up in the morning and I've got, you know, gang members standing in my driveway threatening me, telling me to shut my mouth. And the normal everyday taxpayer, the law abiding citizen, just clammed up and said, "You know what? No one's going to protect me. I don't have, I don't have uh, police officers that'll show up in enough time to make sure that everything is going to be fine with me. I don't have uh, community leaders. I don't have the the city council behind me. I don't have the mayor behind me. So
2: a lot of people just gave up." But how much of that was conjecture? How much of that was uh, misinformation? About what was living and and breathing and breeding in that community, meaning the the hooligans and the problem, was it real? was there that concern, or was it just fear that ran the people and pushed a lot of people out of the community i I only moved just because I was outgrowing I had a two bedroom house um and and I had a family you know uh so i i just didn't couldn't afford to live there. I just moved about a mile down the road into brooklyn Center um and, and uh, bought a bigger house there for a while. But it was a lot of it just misconception, or was there a legitimate fear and a real problem there? No, there was legitimate fear.
3: Because you got to remember, 97, 98, and 99 was Atlas. Right. Where a lot of black men lost their lives. A lot of innocent people who walked up and down Broadway, Lindell, Plymouth, uh, Penn, Lowry lost their lives. That's when the takeover pretty much began, the real takeover that we still see today begin. And people was going, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. We we don't have leadership that's going to take care of this problem. You know, we I, I, I know it's not a, a you know a Maple Grove, but the people, the taxpayers, should have every right. People who who paid taxes on a house, who actually owned their home. And even people who were, you know, renting there, who was good renters that kept their yards up, made sure everything was nice. You know, you, those people are the ones that was going, nothing is changing. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. You look at Broadway today, and b- from the time that I moved over there, I moved uh, to Min- in North Minneapolis, in 1996, when Mayor Shells Belton was having that um, program where that she was trying to bring families back to Minneapolis, and we bought our first house right there, and by the, in 1996, by 99, I was looking for a place to move my family, because like I said, I lived right in the middle of everything that was going on. There wasn't a day that I did not drive down Lindale that I didn't see yellow tape or go down a uh, pen, and I didn't see teddy bears in a memorial for somebody who just got shot, you know? yeah. So it, it, it was truly the product that was in the community at the time, and what was going on.
2: We have to take a quick break. Our guest, Reverend Tim Christopher, and uh, discussing what we can do. uh, How can we take back the communities, especially right now? There's so much derision in our country, in our world, and certainly in our cities. There's racial inequality. There's racial uh, stress and pressure that still exists here. People are afraid to make moves for fear that it will be misconstrued, misunderstood. Is there a way that we, the people, can come together and fix the problems that we see? And, uh, Reverend Tim, I'd love some more of your insight because I love the fact that you you understand the communities, you understand the people that are there and what's taking place, and you don't sugarcoat, you don't uh, you know, broad-stroke it or or minimize the issues. So let's talk about that. And if you have questions or thoughts, 651-461-9226. That's the WCCO talk and text line, 651 651- I'm Dave Schrader filling in for Shaletta here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Shaletta has a day off. I'm Dave Schrader filling in my guest, Reverend Tim Christopher. Uh, Tim, I grew up in in the Illinois area, just 22 miles west of Chicago. I was there when Mayor Jane Byrne, a uh, prominent white female mayor, I think the first female mayor of Chicago, Decided enough was enough, and she moved into Caprini Green, which was the slumland of slumlands. It was one of the most dangerous hotbeds of villainy and scum, as they would say in the Star Trek or Star Wars world. But she moved in, and it was cleaned up, and and it became a tolerable place for people to coexist, and... That was surprising. I've heard that it has since fell back into disrepair. But, uh, you know, changes like this can be made. Why do you feel that that government and taxpayers are not stepping up to do this? Is it just straight-up fear for their own lives because of the community that currently lives and and exists in that area?
3: Well, I I think that right now leadership feels that only thing they have to do is give some of these organizations money and they refuse to look at the true reason why we're having these problems. You know, a lot of these problems, it is poverty. Don't get me wrong. But I believe that if we go into these schools and deal with these troubled kids, uh, I think we can knock a lot of this out. I think if we give some of our kids, who are going through the trouble? Who don't get to see the outside of you know Minneapolis um, at least once, only once a month? That that's gonna hurt. That's gonna hurt them. I mean, I'm gonna believe in what I see, right? And if these kids have had the opportunity, maybe to go to uh, a Maple Grove or Plymouth uh, or Hopkins or something like that for school and get them out of this war torn area, you know, where they hear gunshots, where they, they walk walking home from school, and, and some, somebody drive up to them and think that, you know, this guy bullied him at some point in time and he want, he want to punk him and things of that sort. If you give these kids an opportunity to see that they can grow, then the community is going to grow. But as long as you keep these kids locked up the way that they are and don't give them an opportunity to get an education, don't give them an opportunity to see that things in their lives – can be much better than what it is, then I think we're going to stay in the the situation that we're in. Uh, I do believe that we can make a difference. There can be a difference that can be made, but just throwing millions of dollars to these organizations and these organizations call themselves doing something, it hasn't worked. And they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, instead of going and and getting that, The head of the snake, that's the family unit, right? We all talk about, you know, I always hear this nuclear family. I always hear about, oh, there should be a mom and a dad in the house. I believe that, too. I I 110% believe that. But let's be real for a second, okay? It's not going to happen for a while. And the kids that are running around here today more than likely don't have a father in the house. So what do we do? We work with the mom. And we get the mom to the point to try, where you try to understand what's going on in this household, that we can work with these kids to make these kids better. The big thing up at the, the Capitol right now is SROs, correct? Oh, we need SROs in the school. It's not every kid in the school that, that's a problem. They know who the problem kid is, Dave. They know who these kids are. Then why don't we work with those kids to make it better for them? Why can't we find programs to help the mom, to help the kid? So what do we do? We lock the school down, right? We 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 fold the kid up or or put him down on the floor where he can't breathe. And then we let that kid go back to the same problems that he was at the school with, with
2: those problems. Do you think So I, now we Let, let me ahead. ask real quickly then. Do you think part, you know, it's really easy as a middle-class white man to stand back and point fingers and see the problems and say this, this, and this, I think that we've lost um, respect for authority on every level in every race. I don't think this is a black problem. I don't think this is an Asian problem. I don't think this is a Hmong problem. I don't think this is a white problem. I think that we have gone so far to try to, um, and and I understand an aspect of this, but you know, trying to lighten up on people and not hold them as responsible has been criminal in my eyes. Because that's right, you no longer have the sense of responsibility. Kids have no fear for authority, no respect for authority. Well, Dave, there should never be fear. Yes, there should. Fear is what teaches us not to put our hands on uh, the fire. Uh, fear is what teaches uh, us not to jump on the is. fragile, you know, uh, ice water. We have to have a a, a respectful fear of a situation to understand that there are repercussions for our actions. And if you have no respect or fear for the repercussions, you go to jail or you get killed. And that's not an answer that should happen for anybody. How do we, and I know these are big questions. I'm not asking you for the definitive answers, but how do we start to get this back? I mean, we've swung so far, and you said, you know, we, we know who the problem child is. Uh, But everybody's so afraid to address it because I can't, you know, I can't single Josh Wheeler out. Because if I make Josh Wheeler feel bad about being Josh Wheeler, I can now be sued. The school district can be sued. These things can be sued because um, we've made Josh feel bad. And we can't do that. Which means then they become a victim of their own circumstances and of our own over-concern. And instead of saying... That sucks. It's going to hurt his feelings. But you know what? I'd rather hurt his feelings today and have him learn to be a better person in the long run than to not say anything and let him continue to be a blight to everybody. And I don't mean you purposely, Josh. I was just using the name. Um, <laughs> but people are afraid to make that step now, Reverend. Uh, how, uh, what, do you, what do you think we can do? Or is this even fixable at this point?
3: It, it is fixable. But again, Dave, we, we have to start with the family, right? Because the people who are out in the streets causing problems, causing trouble, have a family. They go back to a house, and that house is probably rife with problems, rife with trouble. You know, Maybe mom and grandma is in that house raising boys, and it's hard to raise boys. So these boys can run all over the place and do whatever they want and act any way they want to act. And the next thing you know, here they are out here in the streets doing whatever. They, there is no there is no leadership. We, we've lost the ability to be leaders all the way around, where there's leaders in the House, where there's leaders at the, the, the city council, where there's leaders at the the Capitol. We don't have any leaders anymore. So because we don't have any leaders anymore, they we, we're able to run out and do whatever we want. And because we're able to do whatever we want, we have some out there going, don't punish them because we failed. Right. Right. And because we failed them, we can't put them in jail because we failed them. We, we, we can't make them feel bad because they're doing the wrong thing. Wrong is wrong. Right. You shoot and kill somebody. You need to go to jail. Mm-hmm. There is no bargaining at all. You go to jail. That, that's just how it works. It's always been that way. And it shouldn't be one of these, oh, well, we put so many black men in jail. We can't keep filling the prison up with black men. If black men are shooting, killing people on the streets of Minneapolis, oh, we can fill it up as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> people know good from good from bad. Right. It, it, I mean, that, that that's just how it works. You learn that at five years old. Right, mom tell you don't do something, you do it. Mom spanked that hand. Well, I know I did something bad, but I'm I'm gonna sit here and, and somebody sh- shoot somebody, plead guilty on it, and yeah, I'm gonna give you five years. No, right. it shouldn't
2: work that way, bro. You or got a gun or if you that you not if if that five years occurs, what are your thoughts on this? Let's, okay, we understand this person might have been a victim of the circumstances they were in where they saw violence as their only way. That five years is going to be intensive restructuring. That five years is going to be making you work in the communities that you were terrorizing to make it a better place to live. We're going to make sure that when you leave this five years, you will have learned economics. You will have learned how to cook for yourself. You will have learned how to take care of your finances. You will have learned the important aspects of what it like, what it's like to have responsibility. Not just yard time, and if you want, you can educate. You know, I think that if we started at, you said it kind of at the beginning, if we can take people back to a place of education, and take them off the streets, give them a sense of purpose, it it helps all the way around. No matter what race, religion, or sexuality you are, there should be no reason that you hide under the umbrella of your your situation. And maybe you didn't know better because you felt like there was no other option for you. Then let's give them the option, but make sure that they don't have to like it, but the five years they're going to spend here is going to be focused on making a better life for them so that when they leave, we feel better about the person that we're injecting back into the uh, deal. Instead of them having time to create a new gang-like community in prison, which only reinforces the thug nature and then re-release them into the population. Uh, you know, it, I think it's time we start focusing on what are we doing in prisons to make sure that people's lives are changing.
3: Well, one of the things that I had been pushing –
2: I'll tell you, Reverend Tip. Could we? I'll talk about that in a second. I just realized we're up against our break. Let me take the quick break. We'll come back. Talk to me about that when we return. I'm Dave Schrader. This is News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Dave Schrader filling in for Shaletta. Police Chief Brian O'Hara is going to join us in just a few minutes. Right now, we have Reverend Tim Christopher on the line. Uh, I know you've got a, an exciting party, a baby shower for your granddaughter coming up. Congratulations on that, Reverend Tim. We'll get you to well, you. To, to give us your um, insights right now on, on what we were discussing before the break, and I'll let you get to that party.
3: Yeah, so um, one of the things that I had been pushing for and asking um, is to open up a place. You know, we had a totem town at one point in time what well, we can send our kids to that was having trouble, having problems. And um, I've been uh, an opponent push to bring that back. But do it in a military style, right? You you send these kids, uh, these troubled kids, to a place like that. You get them up at a certain time. They go to bed at a certain time. They, they, they are in a military-style place versus just sending them – to daycare, because that's basically what they pretty much call it. And then you just let them out. They don't come out with a GED. They don't come out with any type of special skills than being, you know, worse than what they were when they was going in there because they can get together and talk about what they want to do when they get out. That's what we need. We need something that we can rehabilitate these kids. Just like you sent a, a young man into the military. The military scripts this young man down, this, this young man, and then build a man. And when you come back, that's what you are. You're a man. And that's what needs to be done now. We can't get these kids get in trouble, and then we put them in juvie for a year maybe and expect them to come out of juvie being angels. It's not going to happen. It's just going to harden them. But if you go and you give them something to work towards, to work for structure, I believe we can exactly. I believe we can make a difference that way. But see, we have to get to the point to where we really want to do this. This can't be one of those things. Oh, we're hurting the kids, and they're going in these places, and, and we got them locked up, and we can't do that. We can't do that anymore. Those days are over with. We have to get to a point to where we're sitting there saying. This is for the benefit of this kid. And not only is this a benefit of this kid, but this is a benefit for his family. Not only is it a benefit for the family, but this is a benefit for the law-abiding citizen that could be walking down the street and that very kid jumps that law-abiding citizens, carjacks that law-abiding citizen, hit that law-abiding citizens, beat that law-abiding citizens. That's where we have to start thinking, that we're really helping these kids – be better. And when they get older, they can be citizens. Even though they made mistakes back, back here, they can be true citizens. Right. that will open a door for a woman. You understand what I'm saying? A couple old you. lady across the street, stop his car and change a tire for someone. Those are the things that I'm talking about.
2: Reverend Tim Christopher, it's a pleasure catching up. We'll have to do this again. Thank you so much. Congratulations on this big day for you and your family, and stay safe out there. Thank you for all the good you're doing for the community.
3: Well, I appreciate you, Dave. Thank you very much for for having me on. Thank you, sir.
2: My pleasure. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Police Chief Brian O'Hara joins us. Minneapolis police are taking an aggressive stance against a surge in armed robberies. What does that mean? We'll find out
0: next on News Talk 830-WC. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Welcome back to the program. This is the Shaletta Show. I'm Dave Schrader filling in. Headline, Minneapolis police take aggressive stance against surge in armed robberies. Minneapolis police are adopting a proactive approach to combat a recent surge in armed robberies, shaking up their strategy to ensure safer outcomes. Police Chief Brian O'Hara revealed that squads will now flood reported robbery scenes aiming to identify and stop suspects while maintaining a strong presence in these high crime areas. We have uh, the Chief on with us right now. Thank you so much for being here with us, Chief O'Hara. I appreciate it. Hey, Dave. Thank you for having me. Uh, talking about this, and obviously we just got off with Reverend Tim Christopher talking about the community, talking about the danger in some of these areas, how there are problems with the youth and, and they're getting more brazen, more bold. Uh, and to yeah. read this article where you just recently had uh, 17-year-old suspects, both wanted on multiple arrests, and uh, all of these crimes taking place and it's it's going younger and younger. Is this becoming a true pandemic uh, amongst the young with the violence and, and – uh, gun crimes and things that are taking place?
4: Well, I've been the police chief uh, in Minneapolis for 15 months, um, it's been disturbing the entire time I've been here. There's been ebbs and flows, some ups and downs. I, I think in general, uh, it is better today than it was six or seven months ago. Um, when I first started, uh, we had a 12-year-old boy in a sh- stolen car that was shot two different times within about a month. Or so and he had been he had been arrested in between and you know uh, i mean that that's a situation where mom was just begging for help and there was nothing we could do mom was literally begging the police to hold her kid because she couldn't control him and i've been to i can't tell you how many scenes i've been to where you know children younger than these 17 year olds have been shot and killed have been in stolen cars that crashed wrapped around a tree in comas or died um, and it's just uh, it is a sad state of affairs because this is a situation that is predictable so therefore it should be preventable um, you know a lot of even this this robbery spree uh, this spike in robberies that we've seen over the last uh, you know, week and a half or so um, we've done our, our civilian analysts our investigators have worked very hard with their partners in neighboring agencies because this is affecting other towns as well. Don't think this is just happening in Minneapolis because it's not. Um, And through that collaboration they've identified a number of actors that are involved Um, and it's just sad because so many of them are ones that we have arrested before and not for silly misdemeanor things, for carjacking, uh, for gun crimes, uh, for, for robbery and shootings. So Uh, That's the part that's disturbing, and I'm certainly, I'm sure that we're not the only piece of government uh, that has noticed a problem with these individuals, you know, just over the short time I'm here. I'm sure they've had issues with school, and I'm sure, you know, there's cases where child services must be involved. So it's just, um, it's frustrating um, when we're in this kind of mess and, uh, you know, It just feels like the rest of the system is has been ineffective at dealing with it.
2: Well, you said that, you know, we're seeing this and it's a predictable environment. So if we know what's happening, we know where it's coming from and how this is taking place. Are we seeing a trend towards what is causing the uptick in these type of violent crimes? Is there some other correlation that's going on currently that we could say, you know what? We've got these billions of dollars sometimes that are relegated to programs and plans out there that maybe aren't going to the right place. If we have more help in this area, we can contain these issues or we can educate people better or help even the, the, the perpetrators so that they can find another way in another life.
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm the expert on running a police department. I'm not the expert on all these different programs that exist. I know there's been a, a tremendous em, em, you know, emphasis uh, on trying to support other programs. So I won't speak to that. But what I can tell you that I think any person on the street uh, could tell you, particularly those who have been victimized, those who live in neighborhoods uh, where, where they know people who have been victimized, is, look, I mean, especially about two years ago when this whole – issue with uh kias and hyundai's being able to be stolen easily exploded on social media kind of went out of control what was happening was you know aside from people seeing the chaos in neighborhoods that results from that from kids driving stolen cars recklessly uh you know what happens is the police were making arrests and the kids involved were quickly learning it was catch and release catch and release um just as soon as they're downtown you know, the, the, the kids are, are released. I mean, it's, I, I do think in some ways we've created this problem, made it worse uh, as a system by providing negative reinforcement, by almost teaching kids that there won't be a consequence. Uh, and I say that because, again, uh, you know, with some of the kids that have been involved uh, in, in the robbery uh, spree lately, there's overlap with the kids that we were picking up repeatedly last year in stolen cars. So um, it's definitely frustrating. Oh, and (laughs) I was in one of the neighborhoods just the other day uh, talking about a robbery that had happened and a couple of residents came up to me and the the story that they were telling is, yeah. And the week before down the block, they were trying to steal my daughter's Hyundai. And then uh, a a week or two before that they were around the corner here, stealing a Kia. I mean, it's just, It's frustrating because people on the street that have been affected by this are are well aware of what's been going on.
2: Well, why all the mollycoddling? Why are we uh, not cracking down, especially on a second offense, so it's not just catch and release? Is it just lack of of manpower? Is it lack of of jail cells? Is it lack of uh, rehabilitation programs for the youth and, and the people that are committing these crimes? I can tell you that stuff has nothing to do with the police making arrests and bringing the arrests,
4: whether they're adults to jail or whether they're juveniles to the juvenile detention center. Um, you know, we have enacted over the course of the, the year and a half that I've been here, that I learned we had to you start. We had to start asking for special permission, uh, you know, to 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 have juveniles be held, which was just kind of baffling to me. Like, if we're bringing you this kid. You don't know that we brought them 12 times already over the last year, but we had to tell them that and ask you know, for permission for kids to be held. So there's things like that that we are doing. Um, but beyond that, I tell you, it, it, as things get more and more violent, um, it, or, or uh, crimes get more and more involved, it becomes more difficult uh, to gather all the evidence necessary to hold these kids and to get them charged. Um, I'll give give you an example. A group of kids get out and they do an armed robbery, six, seven, eight kids on one victim. It's very quickly done. Um, If it's difficult for that person to remember descriptions, to get a good look at kids' faces, even just to get a license plate, it can be very difficult uh, to have enough to actually charge the robbery for the individuals involved. Um, So it, it it is a complex problem. Um, but I can tell you that the police department in Minneapolis is doing everything that it can with all of the other law enforcement agencies involved and the civilian analysts that help uh, to try and you know build cases that are sufficient enough to bring serious charges uh, that hopefully would, would result in some consequences.
2: This new aggressive stance that's going to be taken, what, what does that mean? What does that detail and come out to uh, actually stand for when we when we look at this obviously people are being hurt and killed on both sides the criminals and the victims uh police are putting themselves in danger what are what's going to be done now from the minneapolis police force in order to start to curtail these issues de-escalate them quickly and try to eliminate you know the unnecessary uh, killings that that are taking place on both sides so
4: the, the police department uh has has done continues to do a fantastic job On the investigative side, our investigators are civilian analysts, and we get a tremendous amount of help uh, from neighboring jurisdictions, the county, the state, that provide us investigative resources, which is all great. And that's continuing, Uh, and I'm very thankful for all our partners that help us with that. Um, It's important to point out, though, when we're dealing with a crime with juveniles— all of federal law enforcement, U.S. Attorney's Office and all our federal partners, uh, are not involved because they do not have jurisdiction over uh, juvenile offenders. So that's a significant piece of our resources that are out of the equation whenever we're dealing with a crime spree that's being called by juveniles. Uh, one thing I changed dramatically this week um, was I, I uh, Saturday night we had had a— uh, robbery spree that's really the main night this was a a significant problem close in time uh several incidents happening um and i didn't know about it till five o'clock in the morning when i woke up reading the crime reports for the for the uh, previous night that's not okay um so i've i've implemented uh, a new protocol where anytime there's any violent crime spree you know two or three more crimes in a close period of time same geographic proximity I want to be called immediately um, and I will get involved myself as well as everyone else in charge that's responsible for the area where this is happening. Um, and we're going to do a number of things differently. Uh, we're going to stop. We're going to pull officers off of lower priority calls. We're going to stop responding to calls for service that are not a true emergency. Um, if it's not something that uh, it, it's something that happened already and all that's needed is a report, it's going to have to wait um, so that we can get as many officers as we can to flood an area, flush these uh, suspects out, and hopefully make an arrest close in time to uh, to when the crime occurs. Because I think that would be, uh, that tends to be more helpful, catching people with the proceeds of the robbery in the robbery vehicle, that kind of thing is helpful, uh, you know, in terms of building the case. Correct. But also, Correct. the more important thing is we want it to stop And and while everybody knows we are short hundreds of police officers in the city, that is not going to be an excuse. Um, We're going to double down and do absolutely everything we can. And I'm very confident uh, with the with the dedication of the members that we have, we will win, and we will defeat this uh, this recent spike we've been seeing.
2: May God be with you and the force that are dealing with this. Only two minutes left here, uh, though, Chief, and I'm wondering if you could tell us what can people do that want to help start turning yeah. around their communities? What can they do that will be taken seriously and um, will actually, uh, like you said, you had a mother wanting her child to be held accountable yeah. and held up, but it seems everybody throughout all of this feels very vulnerable and very weak.
3: Yeah, yeah.
4: Well, I, I would say for individuals, um, for people just in general, it's important to be mindful of your surroundings. Try and be as aware, aware as you can uh, so that, you know, you cannot become a victim yourself. Um, you know, try and not have your car in a position where you, you know, you're too close in traffic to the person in front of you where you might be able to be blocked in fairly easily. Um, and be aware of suspicious activity and report it to us, uh, you know, if, if you can. But if Um, if you should be a victim of crime, because that's something that's always going to be a risk uh, in the world that we live in, particularly if you live in any city in this country, Um, you know, it's important to remember, most important thing to remember is property can be replaced, right? right? So I I think the number one thing that people should do is just try to be calm and as, as observant as possible. Uh, try and remember distinguishing characteristics, try and remember descriptions and clothing, try and get a license plate uh, if you possibly can, because I think those are things that are very helpful. That's just, you know, for people that are totally unsuspecting, um, it, it can be, it, it is absolutely terrifying, and it's not the first thing that pops into somebody's mind.
2: Agreed. Thank you so much, Chief. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and give us a little bit more insight on that. Police Chief Brian O'Hara, we have to take our final break uh, for the top of the hour. We'll come back. We're going to be joined uh, by Matt Peterson, United Healthcare Children's Foundation, talking about medical grants that are available for children in need. We'll do that next right here on News Talk 830 WCCO.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,